I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. It's funny, I got a bunch of shit to talk about, but it's all... It's all dumb stuff, isn't it? No, it's all are you current stuff. Oh, man. Okay. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I don't want to talk about any of these shows. Yeah, we can't. We got a whole episode to do. We can't do that. that At some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I got something special planned for that, too. Oh, no. no. (laughs) I'm going to hit you with something. I'm pretty (laughs) sure you have no idea existed, and you're going to be horrified. I'm already not liking this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So can I ask you a question? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What do you think is the movie that, when produced, when created, after production is finished, mm-hmm. the studio took a look at this and they said, this movie is perfect for just being on airplanes? I think literally any movie that stars Kevin Costner in the last 15 years was actually made for airplanes like they literally have him under contract hey costner you're gonna make another airplane movie right you're gonna be like teaching kids in malaysia how to play cricket or something (laughs) yeah there you go okay actually i think that was a john ham movie but like seriously you look at these kevin costner movies it's like you got your dehydrated wafer cookie and your Mm -hmm. kevin costner movie yeah Yeah. although he i mean he jumped over to tv i mean he's on yellowstone Yeah, yeah yeah Your favorite show. Dude, I have not watched a single second no, of that lie. show. No, don't lie. No, you love that show. I it's literally between never Yellowstone had. and Briar Patch. Those are your two favorite shows. You are the Briar Patch stand over here, man. Don't give me that. I really was not. No, I wasn't. Uh-huh. Nope, not at all. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, the show I'm working on right now is uh, a Taylor Sheridan show. Mm-hmm. I probably have to cut out most of this, but it's interesting, dude, watching Stallone on this show. Oh, you're a fan. He's incredible. Okay. He's giving an unbelievably good performance. All right. This is exciting. Here's the thing that I was immediately struck by with. I was like, this dude really fucked up his career. Because hmm. he's fantastic. And he's made so few good movies over mm-hmm. like a 50-year career. Yeah. I mean, his best movies are pretty much all Rocky. Yeah. And most other stuff he's done has been like... Pretty weird embarrassing vanity projects up until now up until now who knows i mean who knows what it'll actually look like when this is all cut together but just like looking at the raw footage my mind was blown seriously okay all right anyway what's your choice for movies that were absolutely designed this is going right to in flight you know yeah um i would go with um anything that involves animals any live action film that involves animals. Right. You got Channing Tatum, a German Shepherd, and all medium close ups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The outlier probably is that Call of the Wild movie they made with Harrison Ford. That was a little too big for its bridges. Yeah, it was. It's like yeah, you it got, got the CGI dog, it was too you got much. this it was too giant much. adventure, and it's like you were putting way yeah, too much into no this way. airplane movie, you know? Yeah, that's not it. Skip over that one. Everyone, we're talking over like Airbud. Okay, we're talking Airbud one, two, three, four, and five. I mean, they could just rename the airline at that point, right? Airbud. You know, you got the big like wraparound sticker on the side of the plane with a, just like a golden retriever and a pilot's cap. <laughs> yeah, you know, he doesn't just play sports anymore. Now he's flying planes. Oh, and I mean. Who could forget A Dog's Purpose, you know? That movie was like a Ponzi scheme designed to wipe out every canine actor in Los Angeles. You you seem to really be a fan of this film. You heard about this, right? No. They were like drowning dogs in a swimming pool. Oh, that's right. I mean, not actually killing them. No, but I do remember that. Abusing them. Oh, God, that's right. Uh, this wasn't that long ago. Like 2014. Mm-hmm, maybe, mm-hmm. Maybe? I was going to say in the, like, the like mid-teens. That? Yep. 
What a scandal. <laughs> what a scandal. For it to come out that, oh yeah, we were torturing our actors on yeah. set. Uh-huh. <laughs> and we would have gotten away with it too yep. if the footage hadn't leaked out. I can't yeah. believe I briefly forgot about that. Thank you for bringing that horrible thing to my like oh. short-term memory. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> really though, I think the vector point of this discussion is a little movie called The Art of Racing in the Rain. Which, it's such a bizarre fucking title. It sounds like it's a biopic about, like, Ayrton Senna or somebody. But this movie uh, features a talking dog and Milo Ventimiglia. And the talking dog's voice is supplied by none other than Kevin Costner. So, I feel like somebody literally just unfolded their tray table and that movie fell out, you know? (laughs) Having bypass theaters, VOD, all that. You got Kevin Costner as a talking dog. This movie can only be shown on a plane. (laughs) Are we ready to do this? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. Let's get into it. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been too long, but welcome back to Goat Season. We are so happy to have you with us. This is a podcast about the greatest individual seasons of television of all time, their most memorable episodes, and their creative team is both in front of and behind the camera. I'm Phil Mitchell, and along with me is my co-host, Mr. Alex Sinesi. Dude, it's What's been up? too long, man. It's been too long. It has been too long. I know. It's been a real long drink of water, man. Absolutely. Or you look <laughs> was that a mixed metaphor that you had going on there? <laughs> it was very mixed. <laughs> it was a mixed review of that metaphor. Oh my god. Dude, I am so fucking tired. I don't even know. You don't know what day it is. You don't even know what show we're talking about today, do you? I don't, you know, man. Today we're talking about um, one of my favorite shows. Is it Bluff City Law? And no, it is, is it? not. No, oh, it God is damn not. it. No, it's not. I'm out. It's, I'm out. <laughs> You're leaving the pot. I either want to hear about this one and done Jimmy Smith's legal drama or nothing. This is a great show, man. It's got me bluffing loads over here. No. N- just bluffing no, loads no, no, of no, Bluff no, no, City. No, I was going to do The Pretender. Me and Jimmy, remember The man, Pretender? We just bluffing. From the late, like the late nineties, <laughs> kind yeah. of. Was that, was that like it was like a supernatural legal drama? Um, it's definitely like a legal slash kind of crime drama, with like elements of like metahuman, metahuman I was abilities. Say it had like a, yeah. a comic book mm-hmm. element yeah, it to did. it, right? Yeah, there was definitely yeah, some fantasy there. Fucking weird, yeah, man. Yeah, the Pretender. The Pretender. <laughs> so you ready to talk about that today? Season one. <laughs> Now, yeah. today we are talking about another four episodes of Cowboy Bebop, continuing yes. our exploration of one of our favorite shows, if not, you know, one of the greatest shows of all time. Truly. Yeah, man, how did you feel about these four? I really like these four, man. There's so much variety in these four. This might be like the wildest batch of completely random genre and tone in a set and i mean the way they're all separated out as we've said many times it's like totally arbitrary going by the dvd order you could just like rush through the entire series and get the same feeling of like man this is this insane grab bag of episodes where you have no idea what the next one is going to be like Mm -hmm. at any time but it feels really extreme yeah it does with the four we're talking about today absolutely all like tonally different for certain yeah I enjoyed them. I know. They're so good. They're so good. And like they range, and I'm just going to stick with this point, but like they really do range from being incredibly funny, sort of slapstick, and then we'll just sort of like dive into the next uh, episode with just like a certain pathos and uh, poignancy that didn't quite expect. And if I think if you watch them all in a row, which I didn't, I could see how that's like an, it's a roller coaster of emotion there. Yeah, I mean, you're right. The poignancy is always there. Mm-hmm. It's always lurking and That's ready true. to just hit yeah. you when you're not expecting it. They, they kind of nail that every time. I guess a running theme with these episodes is that all of them very much decenter Spike. Yes. He's very much He's in the, background. the fringes mm-hmm. of all of these episodes. And it feels like it was sort of a calculated move probably as... Watanabe was thinking about the end game for the show and how much it would be all on Spike mm-hmm. at the end. It would be paring everything away until it was just resolving his story. That he was like, well, before that, let me get as much richness as I can with all these other characters, especially Faye. Yeah, I would say these four are definitely heavy on Faye. Um, and then, again, a little bit on Jet. And then less about Edward as much as it just is a standalone episode where Edward does stuff. 
Oh, Mushroom Saw. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, that's that's an Ed episode in that it's just completely wacky and yeah. more on her wavelength than anything else. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Has no real bearing on anything else that's happening with the rest of right. the crew. It's it's her getting the entire rest of the crew to just hallucinate <laughs> and chase their tails for a yes. minute so that she can go on an adventure, an adventure. of her own tempo. Uh, yeah. All right, we're getting ahead of ourselves. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you want to talk about just like some of the performers, some of the actors, or do you want to just get into like what happened uh, episode by episode? Yeah, um, it's something I did want to talk about more today. Uh, we've already praised it a fair amount, but uh, I, I'd really love to just like dive in a little bit more to the English dub of this show, mm-hmm. which I think is such an important part of this show's legacy of its introduction in the West and becoming popularized. It's funny, man. I mean, there's so few anime, even when Cowboy Bebop was coming out, where I would go out of my way to watch the dub. I Mm -hmm. I would see the dub if it was something that was playing on TV or on Cartoon Network or on the Sci-Fi Channel or whatever. And it was like, oh, well, I guess I have to watch the dub as I'm just being like introduced to this thing. But as soon as I could... I would seek out a subtitled version. Mm-hmm. Cowboy Bebop is kind of the only show where I first watched it dubbed, loved it that way, have watched the show subtitled, but anytime I go back to it, if I'm I'm just watching it for myself, I would always prefer the dub. And it's the only anime I can really say that. Of. Yeah, I was going to say, again, you've watched more anime than I have, but I yeah. would say, yeah, this is one of the few television shows that I enjoy the dub just as much, if not more so than the original. And that's not to take away from the performances in the original, but I do find the dub to be incredibly enjoyable. It was very clearly this labor of love from all of the English voice actors who were involved in it. They really took a sense of ownership over these characters and the whole show and it just it feels very different from what you would imagine most dubs mm-hmm. would be, where it's just kind of the service that's provided in a somewhat cynical fashion to expand the uh, potential audience for a thing. I feel like dubs are really falling by the wayside in this country now as streaming is proliferating because mm-hmm. every streaming show it just like offers you a subtitle a subtitled version. version. And yep. as big as that show squid game was i think really opened some doors in terms of people watching it subtitled i mean the the numbers it was getting were far far expanded beyond the normal audience for a foreign language show yeah yeah and all of these streaming services just make that so easy so easy to access the subtitled version yeah especially of anime too so looking back on it how much the production of this particular show in English was done with so much love by everyone involved and how everyone involved still looks back on it as this huge turning point in their career. Yeah. I mean, you take Steve Bloom, who played Spike Spiegel, and, I mean, this guy has the Guinness World Record for voice acting appearances in video games. Yeah, we might as well just go ahead and hop right into that. Yeah, I mean, Bloom is amazing. Yeah, he has like 400 credits Mm -hmm. in video games. Mm -hmm. It's it's pretty staggering. And he says uh, Cowboy Bebop was his first role as a lead actor in anything. That's interesting. And it's funny because, again, I didn't know that he held this record. And then it's funny to go back and look at his filmography and then see other roles that he was in that you didn't realize that he was in because that's how talented he is. It's incredible. He's a really versatile voice. Mm -hmm. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. Yeah. The genesis of the dub itself, you can see it with the company itself, that it was sort of this company that had been around from the ground floor of anime. I think they started with stuff like mm. Ninja Scroll and more of these sort of grindhousey late 80s, early 90s anime. And they did Cowboy Bebop. And then after that, they started getting really big jobs doing Ghost in the Shell 2 when that came out. And then um, when Akira was mm. redubbed mm-hmm. for DVD because they, they remastered it around like. 2000 2001 they handled that dub as well so you sort of see this company that was like this smaller upstart from when anime was also more of a sort of niche product 
And Cowboy Bebop was kind of right there at the inflection point. Mm -hmm. And all of these voice actors talk about it being one of their roles that really defined their career. And uh, they've all had huge, huge careers since. Steve Bloom is so interesting because not only was he playing Spike, but right around the time of the Cowboy Bebop dub coming out, he also began voicing the mascot host of Toonami where a bunch of anime was being released in the U.S. for the first time. So he had that. His voice is And then mm-hmm. he said he was like, I didn't really consider myself an actor. This was my first lead role. I was very nervous about taking on the character. But then immediately after that, he started getting a bunch of other similar lead roles. He played the lead in Samurai Champloo, which mm-hmm. was Watanabe's follow-up series to Cowboy Bebop. Mm-hmm. He played the lead in this other anime called uh, The Big O, mm. which is the name of a robot. <sighs> yeah, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to touch that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It had a bit of like a Batman the Animated Series, like black and white Art Deco vibe about it. Very cool visually, but it's just kind of an important anime in the sense that it came out in the U.S. and it had already been canceled in Japan. It was mm, not popular mm-hmm. there. And with Steve Bloom voicing one of the leads, with it premiering on Toonami and reaching so many people that way, it was actually so popular that the original animation studio in Japan commissioned a second season just for the U.S., Uh, which had never happened before. It, It really speaks to sort of a new era in anime beginning with the western proliferation of it and cowboy bebop i think was part of that too i mean this dub brought this series to so many people it was a introductory anime for so many people it gave you something that felt a lot more palatable to like western audiences i think and this english version of cowboy bebop in many ways i think is responsible for the longevity of this show because it wasn't that popular in Japan. It wasn't that well-known. It was a really expensive show that essentially didn't make its budget back. And then off the back of it becoming so popular in the West, the movie was commissioned. Yeah, yeah. So it did have a huge impact, I think, yeah. on, on the history of this show moving forward. It's really interesting also, I think. This was a show, this was a moment where you could hang your hat, or maybe this was the start of like hanging your hat on your voice performances and having that like really be a thing where now people know who you are, like Steve Bloom. Mm-hmm. People know who he is. And even people like Bo Billingsley, like who we'll talk about in just a minute. That's another person whose like name I wouldn't have known. But then like as anime becomes a bigger thing, like you're saying, you start to know the name of these performers. Um, and it be kind of becomes like this underground or sort of like niche thing where you know just this set of people who are only performing in this one specific type of way. It's almost like being like a stage actor in a funny like sort of sense. And I think the way that there's that crossover between anime dubs, Western animation, and then also video games, you end up seeing these people in a lot, a of, lot different, of different media mm-hmm. that all have kind of a genre spin to it, that all tend to have like these obsessive fan bases. So yeah, they, they do get elevated in that way that a lot of the voice actors of western animation probably didn't get that same attention Mm -hmm. i mean there are so few i can think of who were really like even recognizable names Mm -hmm. before that and they were all like people who had such volume you know you Mm -hmm. think of mel blanc who voiced every single looney Looney tunes character Mm -hmm. or frank welker Mm -hmm. when we were young because he literally could voice every single animal or creature or non-human in any cartoon show ever and then he also had a bunch of iconic roles but it's like you had to be somebody who just had hundreds and hundreds of characters and credits to your name to have that sort of notoriety yeah i i feel like with these guys it's more like through anime with these characters who sort of apply to various tropes you would see so many different characters all getting like a Wendy Lee performance and it feels like it was all part of a body of work Mm -hmm. for her. She could vary up how much she was being more like sensual or more innocent or more like hard edged. She can modulate her tone, but all of these characters she's playing are within a certain within a certain range. Mm -hmm. Just because of kind of how anime portrays its female characters in general. Mm -hmm. And uh, even Faye is a very tropey character on the face of it and certainly like 
very sexualized in the way that she's visually portrayed. But at the same time, she has this added bit of depth to her in her backstory and stuff like that. And it's not even that much, but it's enough for her to really, really stand out mm-hmm. among anime leading female characters. For sure. And uh, she, like Steve Bloom, eh, she, I believe she's also a record holder, in her case, for credits in anime oh, wow. as opposed to video games okay. she's voiced the most i mean she's been around for a long time she started i think her first dub was robotech she's also been a voice director for anime it's funny she directed the dub of another anime called outlaw star which huh. did you ever watch that no one? i didn't Mm-mm. so it premiered a few months before cowboy bebop in japan and it was also a kind of western infused anime about a group of misfits on a ship but it's a lot like lighter it's a lot sillier and more of just like a straight up kind of teenage adventure show and it premiered in the u.s after cowboy yeah so everyone was just like yeah Mm -hmm. yeah, Yeah. like what are you doing offering us this watered down cowboy bebop pretender to the throne (laughs) and it actually came out first and was just like just just kind of like a slightly less ambitious show you know and i feel like kids at the time like myself were just like oh well can't wait to shit on this i recognize this lower quality here Uh, little did we know it wasn't even riding off its coattails or anything it's just a coincidence and a really unfortunate Uh, it really is it caught some mad shade that it really didn't deserve right um speaking of uh the directors of the the adr of the the dubbing the director of cowboy bebop was this woman uh mary elizabeth mcglynn Mm -hmm. who uh that was her very first time directing a series was cowboy bebop okay she had said that um kevin seymour who was the founder of anime's zero limit which is the dub company was just so busy with series there was so much anime coming out in the u.s at that time and uh basically it was just like no we just need you to step in and start directing this show we already have it cast we already have the scripts written so she was sort of brought in to like pitch it on this this show And I think she did a fantastic job. She plays Julia on the show. Mm, And mm -hmm. all of the voice actors also credit her with really trying to, like, pull out very naturalistic performances from them, which they weren't expecting. Wow. Like, almost all of them said that they came in with a very particular voice for the character. And basically, she got them to pair that away until they were mostly just using their natural speaking voices. Bo Billingsley well, especially yeah, talks I mean, about that. Mm-hmm. How he came in with like a southern accent and she was basically just like, no, let's just like use your voice. I, which is because great because awesome. his great his okay, like yeah. let's just talk about Bill. I love Steve Bloom, but I really appreciate Billingsley. Just the yeah. the earnestness and like the soulfulness in his voice is perfectly matched with that yeah. character. It's a voice I think that captures all of the facets of who this character is. A gruff older guy who's a little bit weathered um actually very weathered but also is like a good dad and or like uncle figure Mm -hmm. yeah he just billingsley can hit all of those notes and do them like incredibly well yeah he's funny man so like with steve bloom with uh wendy lee you look at them and they very much struck me immediately as oh yeah these are voice actors like to look at them you would not think, oh, these people are movie stars. Mm-hmm. They just seem like people you would see like at the grocery store mm-hmm. and not look twice. Bo Billingsley, though, he's just hot. It's just weird. You're like, what is going on with Billingsley? Out of all of these, like, you're just kind of nice white bread people. And then, like, what is, what is this, like, movie star doing here? Oh, boy. Yeah, he's, like, incredibly magnetic. Yeah, because, like, Steve Bloom is... He has the most amazing voice. He looks like the most average dude ever. He does. It's like cognitive dissonance to hear him talk. The other one, though, is uh, Melissa Fawn, who plays Ed, who is, like, insanely beautiful and, like, bubbly and really not at all what you would expect. And her thing was she was mostly a singer and a live performer and did a lot of theater and stuff like that. Uh. And she talks about how... She had done Cowboy Bebop, and out of the entire 
voice cast she was kind of the one who came in did it as a job like mm-hmm. left didn't think about it too much and she said she was performing wicked on broadway mm-hmm. she was part of like the original cast for that and uh being approached by some fan with flowers after a show and assuming that they had really liked her performance and they were like no you were ed on cowboy bebop <laughs> and she was like wait like, wait what what, what was this yeah, yeah what is this that i did a few months ago She's so cool, too. Yeah, they, sh- they talk a lot about how McGlynn, like gave them all a lot of leeway with their characters. And she, in particular, I think, had a lot of chances to just ad-lib mm-hmm. and to create those like, sing-songy, like, musical tones mm-hmm. with her performance. Which, so, just give Ed such a yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. It's the only character that's, like, talk-singing throughout the entire thing. It's so cool because it feels like that's how her brain just works. She she has been using computers for so long and she probably has this kind of mathematical slash musical way of thinking about everything. Yeah, yeah. That's not really in the Japanese performance at all. Interesting. She doesn't really have that musicality that's to That's interesting. Her. Faye is very different too. Like Faye is much, much younger in terms of her voice actor portrayal. Mm-hmm. I definitely appreciate how... Wendy Lee, I feel like, brought a certain sort of maturity and world weariness to just the the vocal side of it, mm-hmm. which I, I think creates like a much stronger sense of that sort of femme fatale. Yes. You know, yep. who is very like deliberately using her sensuality to get one over. Absolutely. On mm-hmm. um, but yeah, it's just it's it's a cool it's a cool thing. I was I was watching some some videos, some special feature stuff with the dub cast, and just it's so clear that they really, really attached to these characters and knew that they were making something special. Yeah. That, that was the first thing that Bo Billingsley said is he was like, yeah, I played Jet Black, and that is a fact that I'm very proud of. Which is awesome. So cool. Yeah. So cool to hear that it wasn't just like a job and they were just like doing voices on some cartoon and forgot about it. They're still very attached to these characters. Mm-hmm. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. I mean, Steve Bloom, too, he talks about how when he completed his work on the series, he went out and got his first tattoo, which was just the waveform of the word bang. So, yeah, it clearly had a profound effect on him as well. It means a lot to him, right? Yeah, yeah. Do you want to talk about these episodes? Yeah, man. Because, I mean, I I feel the yeah. same way, man. I mean, I, I was maybe 15 or 16 when I first saw this show, and I feel like it had such a huge impact on me as a creative person just in general as someone who loved media and wanted to have this just sort of like omnivorous Mm -hmm. sense of loving movies and loving shows and music and cowboy bebop i feel like encourages all that so much so we had four episodes we had uh my funny valentine we had black dog serenade mushroom samba and speak like a child like just briefly between those four which one did you enjoy the most Oh, um, for me, it was Black Dog Serenade. That's the thing. It's it's kind of unfair to even say because it's like Black Dog Serenade is so my kind of story. I know it is. It being I this know. Super violent, like ultra noir. Yeah. Um, but I think all of these episodes are really, really well done. They are in different ways. Yeah, they I was are. really the impressed. ending of Speak by a Child. 
Oh my god. Speak like a child. Excuse me. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The ending is just like pulls at your it heartstrings. It's really yeah. hard. Yeah, they tried to recreate it on the live action show. Oh, uh, no way. It, no it way. just oh, it it fell so flat by comparison. No Although way. it it still had a little of that where you're like this is just such an amazing idea and moment that you're mm-hmm. like, yeah, of course any show would want to deploy that. Oh, but, for um, sure. Yeah, I guess we should start with my funny Valentine, though. No, you didn't say which one was. Was is it Black Dog Serenade? It's, it's for you? Black Dog. Serenade. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah, all right, yeah. no, that's cool. All right, I wasn't gonna let you escape without giving an answer. That episode's just incredible. It's amazing. It's so good. But like, I knew going in, I was like, well, that's the one that I watched obsessively out of this bunch, and that mm-hmm. I knew the best and thought was so awesome. And it was more that I was impressed with all of the other episodes in terms of how they succeed on their own terms yeah watching yeah them again like ah uh, all right so like yeah my funny valentine a great episode we've got spike and we've got jet they're chasing a small time con man um just and again just get a little scratch you know just make some ends meet because again times are lean right <laughs> It feels like they're maybe at their absolute They're at their poorest. bottom of the bed. They're, yeah, they're, they're so broke in these episodes. Mm-hmm, yeah. They really are. It yeah. is rough out here. It We're talking is. ramen noodles. Tight times, yeah. man. Tight times. So yeah, most of the episodes told through flashbacks, um, and we're learning a lot about Faye. I mean, essentially, we come to learn that she was placed in like cryostasis for several decades, for probably like 60 decades. Chronologically. No, no. No, excuse me. Six decades. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's been 60 years. It's actually weird. This takes place in um, 2068. Yeah. Which I was really surprised to hear that. I was like, oh, this is actually set (laughs) much sooner (laughs) Sooner in the future than we thought. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, God. Anyway. By that math, Faye was actually frozen in 2014. Yeah. (laughs) She's alive now. Anyway. So, so she was on board the first, like, Richard yeah. Branson <laughs> space flight. Spaceship. Since oh, she was on, like, wow. a uh, commercial Oof. space flight, apparently. So she was right there with Branson and Musk, oh, you yeah, know? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny to think about what creatives assume the future will be like. Who and wouldn't want to like, fly Who car, wouldn't want that? And then you realize it's a horrible idea. No one should have that. How are you it's gonna deal good. with like traffic and stuff yeah, no in way. three dimensions? Yeah, that's just people are bad at driving cars. Don't give them airplanes. Right, right, right. Exactly. Yeah. Okay, so here we go. So yeah, Faye has not been uh, in cryostasis for sixty decades, just six. And so yeah, she's probably in her eighties, but has been frozen since the time she was like in her twenties. She's been under the supervision of Doctor Bacchus, and upon awakening, she falls in love with a man who is like a lawyer. He calls himself uh, Whitney Haggis Matsumoto. She falls in love with this guy, he seduces her, and he legally ties her to his assets, which actually just turns out to be his monumental amount of debt. Um, and then, like, he is unfortunately or, like, mysteriously killed in, like, a highway accident or something of like that. Um, or they're being chased. Yeah, by, like, violent insurance agents. Yeah, basically it's like a repo situation. <laughs> yeah, almost. yeah. Yeah, and so, yeah, he dies. Years later, you know, in the present day, Faye finds out that the bounty that Jet and Spike are after is actually this mysterious con guy, Matsumoto. She almost kidnaps him, um, but then she turns him in for the bounty um, when he talks about how much he he loves her and um, he really did care about her. And so she's got still like a little bit of a soft spot for this guy. And then also, I think she is... She is drawn to the fact that this guy might have a little bit of information about who she is and where she comes from. Like, this guy could be a key to her past, but even then, that sort of turns out to be a red herring because he doesn't know anything about her, and neither does the doctor who's been watching over her for several years. No one knows where she comes from. And it's kind of sad, yeah. They led her on with this idea that they actually knew about her past and yeah. didn't want to tell her about it and were kind of using it to control her. I mean, the whole thing is sort of a pyramid scheme because, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, they, they woke her up knowing that she knew absolutely nothing about where she came from and they stuck her with this giant medical bill. He, in the meantime, is in like a ton of debt that he's trying to get out from under pretending to die and like have her taking on his debt was clearly part of that so yeah. i mean the the whole thing is just kind of set up to fleece these unsuspecting people who are pulled mm-hmm. out of cryo sleep mm-hmm. one can yeah. assume and and yeah at the end she realizes that none of them know anything about anything about her yeah so so yeah yeah, it's a bummer it's sad for her i mean the bebop they get their money they get paid for what you know once in their lives Uh, but it is sad for her and it does set up you know 
the episode that's on the other end of this little collection here, which we'll get to in a moment. Yeah, one one more thing I do, before we move out. I just wanted to say this real quick. I thought it was interesting how, like Spike, Faye has this backstory that involves coming through this medical procedure that mm-hmm. sort of rebuilt her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's interesting how in both characters' cases they have this thing where it's like they seem so human and messy in the moment and then they have some sort of a past where they were like almost fused together with yeah. a machine by yeah. a bunch of unfeeling people like watching over them just really interesting imagery there you know for sure for sure especially yeah at the very beginning because the beginning of my funny valentine feels a lot like i forget which episode it's the episode after there's a little bit in sympathy for sympathy the devil, for the devil and they come yeah. back to it in mm-hmm. jazz too. exactly yeah just the same thing with spike just sort of like waking up and being conscious mm-hmm. and other people are like standing over you and perhaps like operating or you know repairing your body um and that just being like a harrowing experience so yeah you're absolutely right yeah they they tie the two of them together visually a lot through that yeah black dog serenade again yeah. Love it. It's so much my jam. Yeah. Give me all the noir. Give me all <laughs> the corrupted police officers and law enforcement. Mm-hmm. Give me, you know, a dogged, honest and true cop. And I'm like, I'm in. I'm into this, right? You yeah. don't have to sell me on anything else. So, yeah, it's a really, really interesting episode. It's a, a jet-focused episode. Um, when a prisoner transport ship is hijacked by a deadly assassin, Jet reteams with his old partner from the ISSP. His name is Fad. Um, in an attempt to subdue the assassin, whose name is Udai Taksim, who is also the man who we believe uh, took Jet's arm. And so through flashbacks, we see how Jet was set up. Um, we see that he was wounded by Udai. So Jet is going out for revenge. Um, so he and his partner board uh, this hijacked ship. And essentially, as the episode climaxes, Udai is killed and Fad is mortally wounded. However, as he is dying, he confesses that he is the one who betrayed Jet all those years ago. And he is the person who actually shot Jet um, and took his arm. And that's the end of the episode. And it's such a I find that the reveal is like so crushing. Yeah. You kind of get the hint that it might be like this might be the big reveal. But it is it's still unpleasant either way. Like once you hear this like dying man like asking for a cigarette and then just being like yeah i set you up and it was just kind of a thing that i had to do sorry about it it is yeah. upsetting this episode is so brutal it's grisly too top it's to grisly. bottom it is yeah. like oppressively violent <laughs> it's so violent god like the the red tones on the mm-hmm. ship and the way that people are just being like wantonly slaughtered it yep. really is like a gruesome episode that hits you I, I, it's just it feels very oppressive it does now, i would say yeah. to watch it's it. very moody it's it's kind of nightmarish and you feel like in the end uh jet and fat are like descending back into hell yeah to like take care of one one final loose end essentially mm-hmm. yeah. i think it's interesting because it's so tonally different than the previous jet episode there's a sense of like loneliness with that one, you know, just like a sense of loss. Whereas this one does feel like you are witnessing something kind of nasty. And I even feel like that's like, it's antithetical to Jet's character. Like as gruff as mm-hmm. Jet is, he's such a like warm teddy bear that to yeah. see him like engaged in like this really brutal, ugly combat is, uh, it's jarring. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, you know, that he's, tough enough that he he's can exactly. actually mm-hmm. like go in and he could deal get that out he could done, dole that you know? out yeah mm-hmm. this guy Rudai Taxon is so clearly so incredibly deadly and he's just this really terrifying figure and the fact that Jet goes up against him and is so clearly outmatched and just mm-hmm. beaten back at every turn and yet he survives just because he's like such a tough motherfucker you know it's it's pretty yeah. great yeah Man. and i i love too like there's a little uh, just a subtle thing thrown in that udai was a member of the syndicate mm-hmm. and the way that he moves and fights is very similar to the way that spike moves mm-hmm. and fights and mm-hmm. you just get the sense of it being like oh yeah here is the totally amoral version of a character like spike Mm-hmm. And it's it's terrifying. 
This guy is like this overwhelming physical presence who can just strike out like a venomous snake and like you're dead before you even know it. And yeah, you're really worried for Jet going up against him. He seems very vulnerable in in that sense. Oh, he's just going to be like outclassed by this dude. And he basically just like survives by blunt force trauma. Mm -hmm. Oh, what an episode. Yeah, it's a really good good one. It really is. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito, live casting. Oh, I'm just going to fan cast that. Yeah, no. All right, I'm done. I love, though, how... Just how fucking corrupt the police clearly are in this universe. Oh, boy, yeah, they are. How terrible they are. And the implication that Jet, being this man of principle, just had to leave. It was just like a totally natural thing for him to break away. Even though, obviously, he was good at being a cop. And he still Mm -hmm. sort of is a cop in his own way and he still talks to them constantly and gets tips from them and stuff but he's he just couldn't be part of that world you yeah, know couldn't do yeah. it couldn't do it too principled what a character yeah he's awesome he is awesome so we've got uh yeah mushroom samba as the uh follow-up episode it's a wonderful kind of like not really quite a bottle episode but it is it feels like one it's got all of the the, the trappings of a bottle episode yeah, it's a lark. It's, it's a, a total yeah, thank lark. You. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. And it starts off again with like the Bebop crew being destitute and without food to eat, and they so crash land. Hungry. Yeah, so hungry all of the time. It's such a visceral thing to have it be yeah. like these characters are starving and they're yeah. like scrounging around for food. It's not something you really see in Western media mm-hmm. very much, and yet it so like palpably puts you in this place and and has you sympathizing with them something everyone can sympathize with because it's just it's just like that stress of bills of money of like not knowing you know how you're gonna make ends meet but having it Mm -hmm. be oh the fridge is empty that just like hits in this really palpable (laughs) way it's like ah fuck this really sucks times are so dark yeah (laughs) yeah Oh, boy. Yeah, so what happens? They crash land on the moon Io. Europa, actually. Which Europa, is, really is it? Okay. weird because I, I, this this was just like a total... They, they picked the wrong moon, or they, they weren't... Yeah, like, like what is... Okay, because yeah, that's... it's a desert planet. Yes. And Europa is very famously this ice planet that may have an ocean underneath, like a, like a subsurface ocean going on. It's one of the most insane, fascinating places in the solar system because they're it's the number one candidate for life outside of earth is that Mm -hmm. there could potentially be a warm ocean under the surface of europa that is literally the only other place where life essentially could happen right but in this it's a just a desert for like a spaghetti western setting it's like they really fucked up the terraforming (laughs) of europa in this case yeah anyway yeah you have ed who kind of like teams up with Ayn, they go off to find food. Yeah. They get roped into like this three-way chase between a woman uh, whose name is Coffee, a dude whose name is Shaft, and they're both <laughs> chasing after this mushroom distributor whose name is Domino Walker. All three of these characters look like they stepped straight out of a black exploitation film, and it's awesome. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Coffee, that's literally like Pam Greer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Although I think she looks more like... Cleopatra Jones, which was a different character oh, she played in the yeah, 70s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, a character named Shaft. Sh- Although, Shaft. it's funny, so his bit of dragging the coffin around <laughs> is actually from Django, the oh, spaghetti the western. the original spaghetti western. Yeah, that was yeah. Franco Nero's bit, mm-hmm, and that was, mm-hmm. he was dragging around the coffin to That's put right. the guy he was going to kill That's in it. That's right. And it's that. one of my favorite jokes in the whole show, that as soon as he explains his grand revenge backstory, a truck just a truck comes runs by over and flattens the coffin. <laughs> the timing of that moment is just, like, it's beautiful. It's perfect. Yeah, It is yeah. perfect. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, so you've got the beep up crew. Um, they yeah. accidentally trip on Domino's uh, mushrooms, so they're each having like these individual hallucinatory experiences. Some of which involves frogs, bonsai trees, toilets. Yeah, it's just water. Like it's just it's all there and it's all weird and it's all funny too. Um, to see all three of these characters get sidelined while Ed just goes on an adventure. That's the thing, Ed gives each of them a mushroom to essentially like 
see if the mushrooms are good or not. Yeah, slash exactly. Also just like perform this weird experiment right, so that she right. can go off on her own adventure. <laughs> and so she basically like puts each of them in stasis so that she can then go like resolve the plot by herself in her own way. That's uh, so funny. You're like, yeah, Ed is actually like this capable bounty hunter. She mm-hmm. just, the way that she operates would not work unless everyone else was out of commission you know, oh that's yeah, how yeah, she yeah. Has to do it. that's exactly what she figured out was like yeah. these three have to be sedated <laughs> right. in order for me to like get this done so anyway she ends up tracking down walker however he convinces her to let him go in exchange for you know a batch of mushrooms she takes the mushrooms back to the crew who is like recovering from their uh trip and it turns out that these are not magic mushrooms these are just simply shiitake mushrooms So the Bebop crew gets food to eat, and once again, they are without money in their pockets. Um, Yeah, it just continues. The cycle continues. The chase in this episode is so good. It's It's so ridiculous and awesome. (laughs) It's so beautifully animated and yet so Mm -hmm. like gloriously stupid at the same Mm -hmm. time. I love that these characters are point-blank firing rocket launchers at each (laughs) other. It just seems like completely self defeating. <laughs> it does. It just reminds me of like playing Goldeneye very... back in the day, where you would be like running into like tiny closet sized rooms with it's... rocket launchers rocket and launchers. firing them immediately. <laughs> it feels very Acme, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Uh, it's super uh, fun. It's so great. Yeah. yeah um, and then you've got the final episode out of this batch, which is Speak Like a Child, which is another episode that's uh, focusing on Faye. I really like this episode just yeah. because of the dive that it does into uh, obsolete technologies yes. um, and just making fun of them while they're still around. Because you got to think, this came out in 1999. People were still watching things on VHS at this moment. Yeah. Um, and so it was funny to see a cartoon sort of like take down what is essentially an obsolete technology, even while the technology is still being used. Uh, by the general population yeah and having beta tape be like such a big plot point too which is just such a wonderful statement of intent with bebop of being like yeah but there was actually this other format that was a little bit better and people don't remember it but it was so cool it's so much better yeah it's it's Mm -hmm. so that like highfalutin audio quality size queen type behavior you know (laughs) i feel like i'm listening to hipsters talk about cartridges on their turntables or something oh yeah oh yeah Mm mm-hmm so you've got the Bebop crew just kind of lounging around. Faye has headed off to gamble. She goes missing, as always. They get a few packages uh, delivered to them, one of which is a Betamax cassette. So Spike and Jet head off to the local retro electronics store to view some of the tape's content. And before they damage uh, the, the Betamax player, um, they see that it's just footage of a mysterious young girl. No one knows who this is. Spike and Jet then travel to Earth to visit an electrical gadget museum that's like underground, essentially, um, and flooded. They retrieve a uh, VHS player, which is not right. going to play their beta Betamax tape. Um, and so they're just kind of like, whatever, this is done. We just, <laughs> you know, trundled and just sort of like tramped through all of this sewage and just like industrial waste. Uh, this whole like uh, dilapidated building just to get this Betamax player. And found out, uh, no, it's the wrong thing. But they're saved by Ed, who has already sort of like Amazon primed her own Betamax into her own possession. (laughs) And so they get to watch this footage. Faye returns. And yeah, it's the footage is none other than her. And I can't help but wonder, like, who sent that to them? Because it's her as a young child, age maybe 12, 13, 14. And she's talking about how wonderful the world is. She has friends. She's excited about the future. Um, And the sad thing is that, you know, Faye as an adult can't remember having ever made any of these memories. She doesn't know any of these people. And so it doesn't even connect her back to her past in a way that you would want it to. Um, And the most that she can do when she sees this tape is cry. And that's the end of the episode. And it really hits you incredibly hard. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's this completely different person. It's a different person. Yeah. Someone Mm -hmm. who's very innocent and not cynical and just like obviously full of you know 
enthusiasm and hope for the future. And uh, mm-hmm. it, to look at that, it's just a perfect kind of distillation of sort of the existential theme of Bebop, how all of these characters are kind of like stuck in some sort of a purgatory where they're so wrapped up in the idea of their past, but they don't really have access to it anymore. And that mm-hmm. yearning is like kind of eating away at each of them. It reminds me too of like Spike's hallucinatory episode in Mushroom Samba where he's climbing that infinite staircase. Yeah, that's Spike. He is mm-hmm. in purgatory. Yeah. 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 It really did watching that again but yeah oh. what a good collection yeah. of episodes yeah, this episode's so good it is they're all really good i love the way that the beginning and end of this session tie back to Faye, and mm-hmm. uh, i love that like, you know you were saying oh yeah speak like a child it's a Faye episode but it really doesn't reveal itself as one until the very end it's Absolutely. another weird semi-inconsequential mm-hmm. bebop standalone and it hits you with that hammer blow at the end kind of out of nowhere. And uh, it's such a cool thing that this show is able to do. Just blindside you with the idea of character development after yeah. being like, no, we're just having fun. We're just doing exactly. like another goofy one-off. And exactly. then it hits you out of nowhere. Ugh. It, it, I don't want to use this word, but it almost I'll use the word malicious. It almost feels malicious in its intent <laughs> to yeah. both like cajole you with its hilarity and then be like, oh, but wait, this is incredibly serious and kind of sad. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's good. It is. The turn of it is ruthless. Mm-hmm. Emotionally ruthless. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Any thoughts on any of these things? Any thoughts on any of these episodes? Yeah. Watching them again, it kind of just reignited for me my fondness for all of these characters, for how they've layered in such depth to them while also having all of these wild, inconsequential plots where, you know, they go off on one adventure after another and everything rolls off their back and they move on to a new place and they don't seem to, like, take anything with them. And Mm -hmm. yet, episode after episode, you feel like more and more you're learning about their inner turmoil, the things that are eating away at them and uh you just like my fondness for them you know grows and grows across the series and i was just reminded of that looking at these again yeah Yeah, again i think it's it's just masterful work the first two batches that we talked about i think were interesting because tonally they all felt consistent all the way through like episode to episode whereas these just being able to play with tone and play with mood and to be able to create a silly story and then have that story just like ricochet off or pivot into something completely different that that stood out to me yeah okay so like in the early episodes i think you felt the experimentation more and Mm -hmm. you felt them switching to a totally different tone from episode to episode with Uh, It it felt a little bit more tentative early on. You had this incredible pilot episode that ended on such a bleak note. And then you had a second episode that was very much just like a low stakes, comedic, silly lark, not unlike Mushroom Samba. But you look at Black Dog Serenade and Mushroom Samba back to back and these two episodes feel so much more confident to me in terms of, oh yeah, we can go super dark and then we can go super ridiculous and non sequitur and silly and you can tell they're like yeah we can support both of these tones and we can really lean into each one and we don't have to recalibrate quite as strongly which we're making this gumbo we're making this wild stew of different genres and tones and influences and we can hop around and we can really like lean into one versus the other because the characters are so strong yeah and they're gonna carry us through oh man what a show i am i am continuing to enjoy this yeah me too yeah man. this has been so much fun yeah very yeah. glad we did this for sure so is it that time is it time for yeah we gotta episode? name some episodes we, know, we gotta name some episodes it's, it's getting about to time. be that time <laughs> it's about to be that time son i forget uh, that you're an hour ahead of me it's yeah like, i know <laughs> lost an hour of time to bullshit <laughs> Like, oh, man, I got hours to go. I could just fucking go off on another uh, Lion's no, Den tangent, no, whatever we need. No, no. Mm-mm. 
All right, here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, this is once oh, again boy. June 2022. Name that episode. <laughs> a wonderful game where I challenge Alex to name the title of an episode after only giving him the description of the uh, the episode itself. Here we go. Number one. You got three this time, so I know oh. you're going to be happy. Oh, I know you're so happy. <laughs> oh, my God. So unexpectedly <laughs> generous. So ecstatic. Uh, All right, here just, we go. I'm just rolling a fucking tear over here, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, right. my God. It's like All Christmas right, so. at the orphanage over here. Jesus you. fucking Christ. <laughs> All right. Okay, here we go. So director and producer Marty Noxon wrote this season four episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, during which Buffy shares a sweater and a dream with her roommate Kathy, and later is forced to confront said roommate after becoming convinced that Kathy is in fact a demon. Oh, oh, oh. Okay. So uh, season four of Buffy is tough, man. Mm. Um... Hmm. Yeah, any any hint about the title itself? Uh two words and it's about um the space where you're living in. Hmm. And Shit. I think this is the second episode of uh season 4. Is it something about a dorm? Uh it's related to like a dorm or where you are residing. I've already said one of the words. In the title, yeah. Damn. Yeah, because I remember, like, I remember Hush, obviously, and Restless, and uh, a few others, but uh, early season four. <sighs> this is Marty Knox, I never wrote it, too. Nope, not coming. All right, me. he's giving Shit. it up. He's yeah. giving it up. All right, here we go. It's called Living Conditions. Ah, uh, no, yeah. I don't remember that one. Yeah, you yeah. mean season fours, man. Season fours of just about season any show throw tough, you off. Man. Yeah. Well, yeah, especially with that one, because like season four was the first season where Angel was airing concurrently, and it's also the season where the characters weren't in high school anymore so the scooby gang was broken up Mm -hmm. so season four is super awkward and has like a lot of bad episodes the big bad in it is really weak Mm -hmm. adam the like frankenstein creature basically like they resolved all of that ahead of time so that they could have a season finale that was like just completely separate from that the season finale is a dream sequence basically and it's great and it's so good but it doesn't really have anything to do with what came before yeah yeah. so yeah that's like one of the seasons i've rewatched the least honestly of that show all right i mean i give you that a pass but i mean and like riley sucks Mm -hmm. riley's like everyone's least favorite buffy love interest for sure yeah Yeah. all right here we go on to number two in this season two episode of atlanta Amy Seemitz directs an episode during which Van and her friends, yep, Van and her friends attend a New Year's Eve party hosted by none other than Drake. Darius shows up and discusses simulation theory, and we learn that Drake is Latino. (laughs) (laughs) Amy Seemitz directed this, though. That's Mm -hmm. wild. Ah. Hmm. Damn, dude. Stumping me yes. today, man. Yes. Oh. Oh. Any hint about the title? It's a direct. Show? It's I a direct this uh, reference to Drake's uh, one of his many monikers. Two words. Oh. 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 It's um. It's uh. Champagne poppy. There you go. <laughs> there you go. Son. I'm ashamed that I know that. Oh. <laughs> That is uh, gross. Yes. It's one of the best episodes it's in so that season. I mean, all funny, of them are dude. just straight up home runs. Yeah. But yeah, that, yeah. yeah they're all great. Oof. It's like every now and then you can feel where Atlanta's like holding a hot hand. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's like the Bieber episode in oh, season one. Oh, man. Two. Oh, they yeah. just. Oh, yeah. wow. Although that took it to a new level. Oof, uh, that yeah. show. Th- did you finish season three? Yes, I did. Um, yeah. It's interesting. Think? I think there was kind of a divided response because of the way that they decided to format the show, which was like every other episode was an episode mm-hmm. about the characters. And then 
yeah. in between was sort of like Twilight Zone-esque episodes that were basically what-ifs about scenarios, like scenarios involving racism and race and class mm-hmm. within the United States. Oh, um, yeah. I don't want to like ruin any of them for you. They're sure, all interesting. Sure. Yeah. Um, so it's like what happens when, you know, a... Um, wealthy um, benefactor decides that they want to pay for college and uh, college tuition, but right. only for African-Americans. Like you only said, for Twilight black Zone-esque, exactly. like, mm-hmm. consider mm-hmm. this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And they're all slightly yeah, yeah, harrowing yeah. and slightly upsetting, right. but they're all yeah. very interesting. So yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, um, you know what this sounds like to me? What's that? Sounds like a season that is much better to not watch week to week. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You just you just want to binge, did I, man. Did you I just, just want to binge. I just I cornered you. you with logic right there. Just got you in a I logic no, trap. I don't, oh no, whatever. Mm-hmm. A logic yeah. bomb. All right, here we go. Last one. Okay. In this season one episode of Hannibal, Will Graham begins sleepwalking. Jack Crawford's wife begins therapy with Hannibal, and a killer mm. dying of cancer is transforming his victims into bloody angels. Oh. Yes. NBC initially objected oh, to this episode God. as parts of the yeah! victim's nude buttocks were shown. Fuller solved this by covering the nudity with more blood. With more blood? Yeah. <laughs> that is so funny that they looked at yeah. what is objectively one of the most horrifying and disgusting crime scenes ever filmed, oh, ever shot boy, yes. with a camera. Mm-hmm. And they're like... Hmm, these nude buttocks is though? Yeah. Come on. Where that's where I draw the line. We we can't have people like getting fucking horned up by this murder scene. We can't have adults popping boners oh. in front of their children watching these like nude buttocks be here. And in, in the meantime, you have people whose like skin is suspended from the ceiling as they've been like carved up into angel statues. And it's like that was the objection. Yeah. Welcome to America, dude. Exactly. Oh you can my do God. anything as long as it's not sexual or makes you horny. It's just uh, like the fucking networks, man. I, I cannot wait to discuss this when we eventually when we eventually tackle this show. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, keep going. I believe uh, this one is pronounced um, Coquilles. There you go. Yeah. I will give it to you. There okay. you go. Mm-hmm. Do you, do you yeah. know how to pronounce that? I, I, I can't even pronounce it. Yeah. No, yeah. I can't. I'm not going to I know the word. It. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. But yeah, it's like some little like weird pastry that I I don't even know. I don't yep. even know what they did. They they did something perverted to it. You know, <laughs> mm-hmm. they dripped some special sauce on it or something. <laughs> I have no idea. Something some creepy <laughs> shit. You know, it's like you just swish your tongue around the outside of it once, and then you know that your pastry has been like completely garnished. We're gonna you know? move on. Bunch of We're gonna move on. We're moving on. <laughs> Um, all right. So, yeah, we do have a, yeah. I've got shows I want to talk about as well for Are You yeah. Current. There's some, I mean, Barry is finishing up. Atlanta finished yes. up. Did you, did you finish uh, Righteous Gemstones? I am working my way through that on a weekly basis. Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. one episode. One, yeah, one episode a week, my guy. <laughs> you refused yeah, to Yeah, I did. Binge. But you know why, though? You want to know why, though? Why? It's because why? I'm watching it with a friend of mine. He introduced me to it, and so I'm like, all right, every week we're just going to get together and that watch the sense. show. It's so yeah. fucking good. I, it I, is. So much to talk about with that show. I'm it's so great. Making my way through it season two. It is so great. It's so good. It's crazy. It's, Oof. Yeah. yeah. Man, this was good, dude. Hell yeah, dude. We'll have to figure out when we can record that <laughs> next one. I'm just, I'm sorry. I'm so sleep deprived, everyone. I, I, I don't right. even know. I don't even know where it's I'm right. at these days. And then, you know, we got this time dilation <laughs> going on, too. I'm so thrown by the fact that you're an hour ahead of me. I like this. It's just a time a time zone difference, and you called it a time dilation, as if there's some sort of, like, metaphysical, like, black hole between us rupturing space-time, and therefore we can't get synced That's up. how it yeah. feels. I open the Zoom window, and I feel like I'm immediately jet-lagged. And no, it's, it's fine. It's cool. 
I mean, it's normal to like bleed out of your ears after like an hour on Zoom, right? Yes, yeah, we're doing yeah. this for the fans. It's only when it becomes that like chunkier blood that you should worry, right? The particle bits is where you definitely need to be worried. Right, yeah. once it's gibletized. Yeah, cool. Well, uh, anyway, thanks so much for doing this show with me, man. Of course, and man. thanks to anybody out there listening as well. We so appreciate it. We hope that you will rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, whatever podcatcher you might be using if uh, any of those are still around and haven't been outlawed or uh, subsumed by giant corporations at the time of this recording it's like the streaming wars only stupid and no one cares you know <laughs> it's insane um anyway so yeah please check us out on those also please hit us up on our instagram at goat season pod we will be having posts with uh, adorable goats and also maybe some information about the podcast on them. So, you know, always look for those. Always want to also thank Janice O'Leary for our artwork, Josh Sullivan for our intro music, and Battlequake for our outro. And we will see you next week. Peace. Peace. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.